0: Hello everyone, it is Grayson Decker and this is a Not So Grateful Dead podcast. This is episode two. I am so excited that you're here. I actually have a super special guest here with me today. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: I'd love to. Uh, My name's Creighton. I'm Grayson's husband. I almost said wife. (laughs) But I'm Grayson's husband. Um, I'm just going to be sitting in today. We're going to listen to a couple of cases. I haven't heard exactly what they're about. I just know it's a couple of girls that are from Oklahoma, which is where I'm from. So close to home, it is interesting. Um, I'm excited that
0: you're here.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: It's going to be fun. I'm always here. I mean, I guess it might not be super fun because they're upsetting stories, but.
1: Literally right here on this couch.
0: Wait, what? I
1: said literally right here on this couch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always here. We are always sitting
0: on the couch. Okay, so today I'm going to be telling you the stories of Monique Christine Daniels and Tamara Lee Tegard. They both occurred in Oklahoma, like we already talked about, and they both kind of occurred in 80s, 90s era.
1: So old school.
0: They're kind of older cases, yeah. Gotcha. Hope you're excited. We're going to start with Monique Christine Daniels, and I'm going to give you some background information about who she was and kind of how her life played out a little bit. It was very upsetting, and I think it had quite a bit to do with her actual case.
1: I figured if we were talking about it, it would most likely be upsetting.
0: Yeah. But very concerning.
1: Look forward to it nonetheless. <laughs>
0: So, Monique Christine Daniels was born on June 16th, 1976, and she was the oldest of six children. And three of these were her actual siblings, and then two of them were her half-siblings. And in her early life, she lived with her mother, Candace, and her biological father. And there's not a ton of information out there on him. Like, I really don't even know his name. But, it was found out that later he was put in prison for sexual offenses.
1: That's not cool.
0: Yeah, so that's very concerning. But
1: he's, like, not in the picture? He's not... Is he still around?
0: No, he's in prison. Okay. So, that's good.
1: Still a piece of shit.
0: Yeah. It did come out later, though, that she did suffer some abuse from him, which is very tragic and very upsetting in her very early life. Uh, So... After her parents got a divorce, her mother Candace got together with this man named Charles, or better known as Chuck Daniels, and he became Monique's stepfather. And after the two of them married, the family started to live together in Moore, so all six children, Candace, Charles, or Chuck, live in Moore, Oklahoma at this point in the story,
1: 1992. 1992, that's like 30 miles away from us.
0: Yeah, it's really not very far at all.
1: Probably less. Maybe 20.
0: Yeah. Um, and Chuck was a sergeant in the Air Force, and Candace was also in the military, so it made their home just very strict, and her parents just weren't very nice at all, like quite physically and emotionally abusive constantly, and I think that had a lot to do with them being in the military. Like, they just made the house very strict. And even Angelique, like, her sister, states that the house was always spotless. And that does play into the story later. But I think it kind of gives you an idea of who they were.
1: So they were drill sergeants just as much as they were parents.
0: I kind of assume that, I would say. That's what it
1: sounds like.
0: Maybe not a strict schedule all the time, but definitely had to pick up after themselves and make sure that the house was always spotless. And I don't really know how it was in their house. Like, I couldn't imagine how they were, but I can't imagine it was good if it was a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So, now I'm going to tell you about the actual case. And it occurs on June 2nd, 1992 in Moore, Oklahoma. It was a very rainy afternoon, and a neighbor states to have seen Monique loading some clothing into a blue Chevrolet pickup truck, and she was accompanied by an unidentified Caucasian male. That's all we know. We have no idea who this man is, if it was maybe her father, if it was some random guy. We have no clue. Just unidentified.
1: But she's packed her bags.
0: According to this neighbor's sighting, she was loading clothing into this truck.
1: Okay. I don't know about the credibility of this neighbor, but...
0: Yeah, but unidentified Caucasian male loading stuff into a truck, rainy afternoon. Last time she was seen. And on this day, her mother conveniently, and her sister, and her brother, so Angelique and Brian, they were all three on a choir trip out of town because they had been asked to kind of i guess tour with this church choir and so they were going from town to town singing so she was gone and angelique and brian were gone and then her stepfather and her her other siblings so andrew and charlie jr they went on a spontaneous fishing trip even though it was pouring down rain
1: that makes a lot of sense.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: I mean, that's seems like my favorite suspish. time to go fishing is when it's just a downpour.
0: Yeah, like a monsoon. An, an
1: Oklahoma downpour. <laughs> Sitting out on the pond, just wet cigarettes everywhere.
0: Yeah, catching some fish. <laughs> fish are already wet. so I mean. <laughs> and they don't care. So they state that they say bye to Monique, and that was the last time that they saw her. And she was actually about to turn 16 at the time of her disappearance, so very young. And also just a very young age to go through all of this trauma with both her stepdad and her biological father and having to put up with, like, constant abuse. So that's just already upsetting. Her life is quite tragic, her home life. Then... Once Chuck and the boys get back from going on spontaneous fishing trip, he realizes that Monique is gone, and this is a really, like, kind of weird part. He locks Andrew and Charlie Jr. in the car for an hour once they get back, and then once they're let out of said car, they go into the house, and he basically locks them in a bedroom for two whole days, to go look for Monique, quote-unquote. That is
1: really weird. I mean, two days?
0: Two days.
1: Two days.
0: Two whole days.
1: I mean, how old are these kids?
0: Not very old. I know they're much, not much younger, but they're quite a bit younger than Monique was.
1: That's crazy. I mean, I guess what would you do?
0: Just lock them in there with...
1: A bunch of fruit snacks and Ritz crackers. I don't
0: even know if he did that. Like, by the sound of things, it sounds like he just simply locked them in the bedroom. Which is just... what? And he says it's to go look for Monique, but... I don't know if he actually does any looking, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean... Why would you not bring the kids with you to go look for Monique?
0: Right? I think, like, being a sibling, I would definitely want to go look for my sister if she went missing. Absolutely. Like, for sure would be out there every single day looking for her. I'm with you. So, just to hinder them from helping is just kind of weird, in my opinion. Like, very suspicious just to lock them in the bedroom all day by themselves. I'm with you.
1: I can't imagine doing that to my kids for any good particular reason absolutely
0: not so then he goes to pick up candace brian and angelique uh when they got back from the choir trip and the only thing that he says is she's gone again and that's it and that's basically like the end of that day they don't do anything else they don't try and look for her don't file a missing persons report don't make any calls it's just, she's gone again.
1: Straight from the heart.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then once they all returned home, Monique's sister noticed that the house was in complete disarray compared to its normal, pristine condition. There were beer bottles everywhere, cigarette butts all over the fireplace mantel. And one key piece of evidence, in my opinion, is that there was an empty pregnancy test box found on the bathroom countertop.
1: Okay, why is this such an important piece of evidence?
0: Well, remember how I said she's gone again? Well, in the past, like, fairly recent to the time that she disappeared, she actually ran away for the first time, and it was because her parents found out that she was pregnant and they were forcing her to get an abortion, and so she left the house, wasn't there for a couple of days, and basically just ran away for a little bit but then she eventually went home because her friend like convinced her that she needed to but keep in mind during this time her parents were following every tip making all of the phone calls basically panicking that like monique was gone and they were trying to do everything in their efforts to make sure that she was found and that she would come home safely
1: and this time they don't give a shit and the house is a wreck.
0: Yeah, like absolutely, do not give and a shit.
1: They're locking kids in bedrooms for two days. Straight. Yeah,
0: they're just acting very odd. The I see. Whole thing I is, see what you're getting at. The whole here. thing is just weird.
1: I'm catching on.
0: So Angelique also states that during this time, neither one of her parents really seemed worried that their daughter was missing. And that her mother was unusually quiet throughout the entirety of the choir trip. Like, just very off. Wasn't acting normal. Very quiet. Very reserved.
1: she normally a talkative person?
0: I mean, I'm assuming so, because Angelique says it's weird that she was being quiet. Just acting abnormally quiet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess. The whole trip. Most people know their moms. Yeah. Like... If they know their moms, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And, like, just the fact that they're not acting weird. I mean, they are acting weird when they come home from the choir trip and, like, realize that Monique is gone. They're just acting suspicious and weird and unbothered.
1: I didn't even think about that. The way they just came home and all of a sudden don't have a sister.
0: And then they just went back into regular life, basically. Just didn't even skip a beat. Like, it wasn't anything to be concerned about. Very odd. Just very suspicious behavior, in my opinion. I follow. Yeah. There was also no missing persons report filed for Monique for nearly two years. Two years. Insane, right?
1: Insane.
0: Insane. And this was found out because Monique's aunt, Leslie Westrick, she was trying to get in contact with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children so that they could assist her in her search efforts to find Monique. And Leslie states that she asked Candace for the police report number on multiple occasions, but Candace would simply just never give it to her. Because there was no police report filed, because there was no file ever made, so there was just nothing to give Leslie.
1: Still just insane.
0: Insane, right? Like, your daughter is missing, and you just don't give a shit to even think about reporting her I'm curious,
1: did they file a missing person's report the first
0: time she ran away? Honestly, I'm not sure, but it seems... Like they did. By the way that they were so proactive, I would assume that they did. Okay. They were doing what you should expect a parent to during that time. So I would think that they did actually file her missing that time. It even came out later that her parents allegedly said if Monique wanted to be here, she would.
1: That was basically
0: just the extent of their argument is that she ran away. And if she wanted to be here, she would.
1: But there's no sentiment that they want her there.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely
1: not. Like, I'm thinking, you know, if my sister were to run away from home when we were younger, my parents would be, like.
0: Absolutely ballistic. Doing everything but bribing her. Exactly. Just. It's crazy.
1: Letting her know that she's absolutely loved and has a home that she can come back to.
0: Mm hmm. And it's. Almost like they just said, F you, don't come back, pretty much, to Monique, by the way that they were acting. Very upsetting. Okay, so now we're going to fast forward to the six month mark of not hearing anything from Monique, her missing, them not doing anything about it. Basically, Candace, her mother, claimed to have received a phone call from her daughter to let her know that she was okay. She was fine. Everything was golden. And she also states that she received two letters from Monique that were apparently sent from Texas. They had Texas postage marks on them and everything.
1: So at this point, the belief is that she's run away to Texas.
0: Not necessarily, because in these letters, Monique supposedly states that she had a daughter named Chelsea. And that they had moved to Alaska. And she had gotten married to some guy. And that she was traveling with said husband and daughter, and they were in Texas at the time.
1: Okay. So she ran away to Alaska. Yeah, I guess.
0: Apparently. And they never really checked on this. I would say that her parents never made sure that the marriage actually happened, which I feel like it would be pretty easy to request those papers from the court.
1: I mean, find a courthouse.
0: Whatever. Yeah.
1: Pull the file. Check out the marriage license.
0: Try and make sure it's legitimate because, like, she is your missing daughter, you know?
1: But then again, it could be, like, some of these oaky weddings, you know, the backwoods stuff where there is no
0: marriage license.
1: But it's just as official as anything else.
0: Just as official. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't know the legitimacy of said marriage, and Leslie, Aunt Leslie, Queen, she starts to question these letters and basically states that Candace sent them to herself. And so she even goes as far as getting a handwriting comparison done so that these letters could be analyzed. And she could basically prove that, can I mean, Monique is not the one writing these letters, but Candace is. And I learned about handwriting analysis in my class in this last semester and it is very specific it's almost like a fingerprint you can definitely identify somebody based off of their handwriting because everybody writes very differently so somebody could have been incriminated by these letters
1: yeah you also like learn a lot about that in the movie catch me if you can oh yeah Leonardo DiCaprio
0: yeah yeah and
1: Tom Hanks both stellar
0: But anyways, it's just very specific. So somebody could have been incriminated. And so, right before these letters were supposed to be analyzed, the Daniel's home gets broken into. And guess what was stolen?
1: Hmm. Let me think. The house pet (laughs) along with the wall-mounted TV and a laptop.
0: I mean, I don't think that they had, like, a wall-mounted TV or a laptop. The
1: letters. But,
0: yes, the letters. And a few electronics, like a karaoke machine. So very minuscule things. And then the letters.
1: That's what I would steal. The karaoke machine. Oh, definitely. If I break into someone's house (laughs) and see that, mine.
0: Definitely. But how convenient is it that these letters are just taken right before they're supposed to be analyzed? A little too convenient, if you ask me.
1: It was a little sus.
0: Yeah. And so then, the Daniels family even takes brand new family photos to replace them with the ones that Monique had been in. And the other children weren't even allowed to speak her name. They weren't even allowed to, like, basically just acknowledge her existence, that she ever was there, or that she would ever be coming back. Which is just fucked. Fucked up. Real bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's hardcore manipulation of a child.
0: Yeah, like you're basically just forcing them to go into this narrative of, oh, I never had a sister, she's never coming back, we just need to move on and be happy with the life we have.
1: Yeah, you're not allowed to acknowledge her existence.
0: Yeah, at all.
1: Where God forbid, mourn.
0: Mm-hmm. And I could imagine, like, that's her sister. And by the looks of it, like, things, it does seem like her and Angelique were pretty close. And she was just basically forced to forget about her. Pretend she didn't exist. And then, Chuck, the lovely man that he is, once he hung up these, like, new family photos, he describes things as being so much better and he even uses the word tranquil now that monique's not in the picture
1: that's passive aggressive at the very least and
0: very fucked up this is her missing sister and you're gonna sit there and tell her that things are better now that she's gone and not in the picture anymore Ridiculous. He is a terrible person.
1: It sounds like he's coped very well with her. Very quickly.
0: Almost like he wanted her to not be there anymore. So then, fast forward to 1994. Angelique, Monique's sister, runs away from home to her Aunt Leslie's home in Michigan. Which, don't blame her at all. She was tired of putting up with the shit that she was going through every single day, so she left. And as soon as she got there in January of 1994, she contacted Child Protective Services to bring child abuse charges against her parents. And during this, her parents were attempting to have her extradited to Oklahoma, but they were denied by the judge because the judge was concerned with Angelique's personal well-being, which is really good. Good. Thank goodness for that, judge. And also during this time... Her parents finally file missing persons reports for both of their daughters, Angelique and Monique.
1: And nobody thought that that was suspicious.
0: I I guess not. But it's just very shocking. Now that your second daughter has gone missing, you're gonna file the first one finally two years after she has been gone. It's just insane. Her parents, however, did plead no contest to child abuse charges, so basically not admitting that they did it, but not saying that they didn't do it, which is really sad, but it's how they were, I guess. They also refused to participate in lie detector tests, and Chuck even confessed during this time to sending the fake letters and the phone call. What? Yeah.
1: He sent the letters?
0: Yeah, he sent those letters.
1: How did he do the phone call, though?
0: I really don't know, honestly. But Angelique, once she was with Leslie, she also confesses. And she says that she is, in fact, the author of these letters. And tells her about how Chuck made her write them and send them to Candace. And he basically tells Angelique that Candace is just feeling super suicidal and that it would really make her feel better to hear from Monique and to hear that she was okay. And Angelique states that she felt really threatened while writing these and he basically told her she would go to jail if she said anything, which, what the hell. You're going to threaten your daughter jail time if she says anything about these fake letters that you're writing. Like, what are you so worried about, you know?
1: Yeah, blackmail against your teenage daughter.
0: Yeah. Like, why are you trying to get her to hide something that shouldn't necessarily be hidden, I guess. For sure. Yeah. It
1: is a big concern.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And get this, he even drove all the way to Dallas, which from Moore is like three, three and a half hours away, he drives all the way to Dallas just to mail these letters so that they will have a Texas postage mark.
1: That's dedication.
0: Very intricate plan, if you ask me. I'm going to say he's
1: definitely trying to cover his tracks.
0: Yeah, he's almost trying to create some sort of alibi, I guess. It's just all very suspicious. And
1: I could see, like, maybe not even necessarily an alibi for him, but just trying to create the narrative that his wife is ignorant of everything that's going on.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Like, I guess if she's duped by these letters, then she obviously wouldn't know why she's missing or where she's actually at. You know Because yeah,
0: I mean? apparently she's in Alaska, doing exactly. wonderful.
1: That's what she believes. Yeah.
0: Then, in August of 1994, Leslie Westrick, which is Monique's aunt, Aunt Leslie, Queen, love her. She's amazing.
1: Yeah, she's she, like Liam Neeson. She's Taken. the
0: only one that tries during this whole case. I mean, obviously Angelique too. But Leslie's, like, out there doing the work. And she starts heading to Oklahoma during this time with a psychic named Liz Mahan, who had been working on the OJ Simpson case at the time, which is quite interesting, to search for Monique's body, and they didn't actually end up finding her. She is still yet to be recovered to this day. But she was working with three psychics in total during this time, and they all agreed that Monique had been strangled, and would be found somewhere rural about 25 miles east of the Tinker Air Force Base in Minmouth City, because that's where both Chuck and Candace were employed at the time.
1: That's intriguing.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a place to look, but police would not help Leslie with this search, probably because she got said information from psychics, I would assume, which nothing against psychics. Definitely do your thing, but... In this case, it didn't seem to help.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, you said the OJ case earlier, and... Yeah. How much did that help?
0: Yeah. Uh, So, when they were searching, it was just the two of them, Liz Mahan and Leslie Westrick, and they only found remnants of an old barn and a red purse, which nothing that I have researched says that this red purse actually belonged to Monique or was really hers at all or part of her life connected to her in any way, shape, or form.
1: So they found a random
0: purse. Yeah, basically. And old remnants have a barn. All of them have it, like, had envisioned this. They thought that this was going to happen, saw that it was going to happen, but they did not find the body, which they all believed that she had been placed under some old boards, like an old pile of boards, and she wasn't found there, so... That's very unfortunate. No body has been recovered. But I do think it was a good place to start. But if she would have been filed missing forever ago, like two whole years before this search took place, maybe the police would have found her there. And maybe, I don't know, they would have had more evidence to go off of. But because the family waited so long to file her missing... All of the evidence in our case I feel like was either hidden
1: I was gonna say taken care of I mean, in
0: some way.
1: If they don't file a missing persons report until two years later, then that gives them two years to come up with a plan. Mm hmm. And even if they don't start that plan until two years later, they still have a big head start. Exactly.
0: And, like, just evidence-wise, like, you can get rid of evidence in two years. You could get rid of a body in two years, you know?
1: Yeah, and, I mean, it would be a lot easier if it were, I guess, already decomposed completely. That's a lot easier to get rid of than a body that's going to decompose. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So now, I'm going to tell you about the two brothers, Charles Jr. and Andrew, who went on the spontaneous fishing trip, and their stories of said fishing trip, because they differ quite a bit.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And I think it's quite interesting and prevalent to the story. So Charles Jr.'s he states that he just gave Monique a hug, told her bye, and he said that Monique said, I wish I could go, but I can't. And that's basically it for his account. That's all he really remembers was telling her bye, But he remembers physically hugging her and her speaking back to him in this goodbye.
1: So he must have been very young.
0: Yeah, I I would say so.
1: Because that's next to nothing.
0: Yeah. But then Andrew has a very different recollection of this event. And he actually seemed to remember these things in 2013. Well after her disappearance, but he was watching footage of his hometown more being destroyed by a tornado, which we both know happens quite often, and it's always very aggressive.
1: Yeah. Completely uh,
0: just destroys the town.
1: We went and cleaned up a little bit after that May tornado. Really? And the as far as you could see, every house was just leveled.
0: Yeah. Like... Very aggressive. So, obviously, it's a very traumatic event for him. That's his hometown. So, it probably brings up some of these old traumatic events that occurred in said hometown. Right? Like, it makes sense. For sure. So, he states that Monique and Chuck had been arguing that entire morning. And he stated that Chuck had told him and Charles Jr. to go say bye to Monique through her bedroom door before they went on this spontaneous fishing trip. Which, like that's pretty odd go say bye to her through her bedroom door you can't actually go in you just have to say bye through the door very weird yeah and if anything she should be the one telling them like don't come in you know not the dad
1: it is her room but also what kind of goodbye is that
0: yeah very very odd So, when he goes to say goodbye to Monique, he says that the bedroom door was slightly ajar and he could see her just through this tiny little sliver of the door. And she was sitting cross legged on the floor, but was really, really, really still. Was not moving, not her fingers, hands, eyes, anything. Didn't turn and look at him when he said bye. Didn't say anything when he said bye. Just very unresponsive, very still.
1: So I'm starting to pick up on why this goodbye maybe had some rules
0: attached. Yeah. Like, don't go in. So, like, I'm assuming she might have been dead at that point. I'm not really sure. But basically, don't go look at her, you know?
1: I was going to say, there was a reason. Yeah. For sure.
0: So then he states that after they returned home from fishing and after their father made them wait in the car for over an hour, he ran straight into the bathroom because I assume he had to pee because, you know, it was a long trip. And he actually states that during this trip, they drove two hours one direction in the pouring rain, didn't even bring their fishing poles for a fishing trip. Chuck pulls off of the highway Pulls into a McDonald's, they stop and get food, and then immediately just turn back around and go home.
1: And then sit in the garage for an hour. So they didn't even do any fishing.
0: No there. fishing. Just, Unless they were just doing, a car ride. you
1: know, the Oklahoma hillbilly hand fishing.
0: I'm thinking maybe he was just trying to make an alibi. By traveling two hours away, traveling two hours back, wasting like four hours of his day doing fishing. But Andrew clearly states, like, we did not bring our fishing poles. We did not do any fishing. We stopped and ate McDonald's and then turned around and went right back home. So I assume he was kind of in a rush to go to the bathroom because that's a four-hour round-trip drive. And then being forced to sit in the car for an hour.
1: With a meal in there. Yeah.
0: That's five hours. So he goes into the bathroom... And he has this horrible, gut-wrenching feeling that his sister Monique was dead in the bathtub next to him. Which I can't imagine is a good feeling to have. And that's pretty out there for a thought, you know? Like, to physically think that your sister is dead in the bathtub. Like, it must have been quite scary to live in that household. For sure. That's just a very drastic conclusion to come to, you know? But anyways, I digress. He says he's about to go look, and he's this close to looking into the bathtub, and then Chuck comes into the bathroom and tells him that he needs to go to the bedroom, and that's when they're locked in the bedroom for two days to quote-unquote go look for Monique. That's what the dad's doing. But sometime during this confinement, Chuck takes one of these boys out while he searches. And this is late at the night, like late in the middle of the night. And he takes them out and the son does not remember where they went or what they were really doing. But he remembers there being a big oil barrel in the bed of Chuck's truck. And later, like later in life... Angelique states that she knew that Monique's body was inside of that barrel, and she believes that he took her out somewhere and buried her that evening.
1: And, yeah, I mean, we know what those are good for. Yeah. With Lake Mead drying up the way it is and what Mm -hmm. they've been finding.
0: The mob killing all those people, putting them down in the bottom of the ocean. (laughs)
1: Lake.
0: Lake. (laughs) 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 Whoops. But anyways... She's very suspicious. Like,
1: one more thing before you keep going. I think uh, it's just that alone. If you're Angelique or one of the two younger boys, that thought alone or knowing that would be motivation to never take a wrong step again.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Like, you can't raise your voice and speak out or question Mm -hmm. anything yeah you're you're next
0: yeah so now i'm gonna kind of tell you some conclusions of this case which there isn't necessarily any because like i said her case is still unsolved her body is yet to be found but chuck and candace throughout the years have continuously stated that monique simply is just a runaway and they have always denied that they were abusive parents And they both state when asked about Monique's case that it is in God's hands. And that's all they have to say about it. Don't care to actually be proactive and do anything about it. It's just in God's hands.
1: So they're over it. Basically. They've just moved on and are not, I guess, in any way still hung up on the fact that They let their daughter, quote-unquote, run away at 16. Yeah. And never saw her again.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Just no concerns. It's almost as if they're saying thoughts and prayers when school shootings occur, you know? Like, saying something isn't going to help anything. Like I said, they're just not being proactive about anything literally ever throughout this entire case did they ever do anything to help monique or to help find her which is just insanely upsetting it's just crazy yeah and actually right around the time that this was all unfolding probably like around 1994 candace and chuck got transferred quote unquote because you know they're in the military to germany and they lived there for a while and now they just reside in florida and they genuinely want nothing to do with the case and quite literally just refuse to even talk about it
1: so they're still living under the same rules that they had when their children were still under their roof
0: yeah don't talk about her she doesn't exist basically which just pisses me off really grinds my gears yeah it's so upsetting
1: uh, I know my parents would not give up on me if I had run away. Yeah, absolutely which, not. I mean, thank, Thanks for that. Yeah, thank mom you, and mom dad. and dad. <laughs> They're awesome.
0: We love you. But, yeah, to just not give a shit at all, it's so upsetting. Just really angers me. But her case being unsolved and cold, you can still submit tips if you know anything Because, I mean, genuinely, it was not that long ago. Mm. And people still could know information. And I know a lot of cases, you know, you just keep quiet for a long time. Then you finally say something to police. And that's the tip that they needed to move forward with the case. So, please, please, please reach out. Please, if you know anything. you have anything else to add? I do have,
1: I guess, just one, like lurking question
0: what is this lurking question that
1: man i that,
0: know who is he do the parents know him could they have like hired somebody to do something to her it
1: really would not surprise me because the dad went to such great lengths Mm-hmm. just to do a bunch of shit that doesn't make any sense Until you know why he was doing it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: But it wouldn't surprise me that that's just one step that he hasn't admitted to.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like I said earlier, because I didn't report her missing for so long, I assume that unidentified Caucasian male, like, literally just wasn't a part of the conversation at all, you know? How could they find him? How could they know who he is after two years of her being missing? And they were just p- set back so far from the very beginning that I feel as though it was almost impossible to solve her case.
1: And I guess another thing that I have just kind of thought about is why they wanted her to get an abortion so bad.
0: I know. It's very odd.
1: Like I, And
0: was that the reason that she, like, disappeared is because she was still pregnant and, like, didn't go through with this abortion? That's, and that's why pregnancy test was on the bathroom counter in a very crazy house?
1: I know there's no evidence and this is completely unbased. But what if it were his child? And I know that she's already been through sexual abuse prior... And her mother's prior relationship. And we don't know that that's happened here. But I can see that being a big motive.
0: Yeah. It's not an outlandish thought. I do think that that could have occurred. Which is so sad to think about. But the way that they were acting with the abortion. And how the pregnancy test was left on the bathroom counter. Before all of this unfolded. I don't think it's out of the picture or really it's not absurd it's not an absurd thought I don't think
1: still just a thought though yeah we need evidence
0: no evidence behind it but it is like a good uh, I could see that being a motive for sure but if you know anything please reach out and I'm gonna give you some numbers here so I have the Moore Police Department which is 405-793-5151, and then the OSBI or Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation is 405-848-6724. Please reach out if you know anything. Her case deserves to be solved, and she deserves justice. Okay, husband Creighton, are you ready for story number two?
1: Story number two. Case number
0: two this is going to be the case of Tamer Lee Taggard and keep in mind we don't know who it is for around 40 to 42-ish years Wow yeah so in March of 1980 20 year old Tamer Lee Taggard went for a walk and never returned home she was living in Las Vegas at the time and she simply just vanished people who knew her though basically said she left to start a new life and that was their only thought no concern just she left started a new life i don't know about you but my friends would be like where the fuck is this bitch she didn't just start a new life well
1: and my immediate thought is i don't know i guess if i were running from something and I didn't want my friends or family to, I guess, be concerned or also be put in danger. Vegas isn't a bad place to disappear.
0: Yeah. That is true. Very true.
1: But in this case, it sounds like it didn't work out. Yeah. I don't know. If that's even the case.
0: I don't know. So Speculating. <laughs> so April 18th, 1980... In Oklahoma, so this occurred in Jones, Oklahoma, the body of a nude female is found on the shore of the North Canadian River by a fisherman. Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office, the OSBI, and the Jones Police Department responded to the scene, and after this, her body was taken by the medical examiner for an autopsy to find out who she is and what may have happened to her, because like I stated, she was found nude, so obviously no identification was found on her being and they had no clue why she was there. Just kind of washed up on the shore. And throughout this investigation, authorities found out that she had been shot three times with a 45 caliber pistol. And while performing the autopsy, they found a 45 caliber bullet and it was recovered from her chest. and this was along with a dime. Which they later kind of talked about how she probably just had some money in her pocket. Maybe for like a payphone or a bus ride or something like that. Gotcha. And it got hit by the bullet and then was embedded into her body.
1: So it didn't work like
0: Abraham Lincoln's deck of cards then? No. But also around this time there was... Or maybe it was a bible. I can't remember. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to It's okay. But But around this bullet and dime, there was also remnants of clothing, like little just pieces of fabric, which basically tells them that she was clothed at the time of her shooting, which kind of suspicious because she was found nude, you know. And after her killer shot her, they doused her body down in quicklime, which... They believed the killer was thinking it will quicken the decomposition of her body.
1: And what is quicklime exactly?
0: Well, it's better known as calcium oxide, and it's widely used in industries in making porcelain and glass and purifying sugar or a bleaching powder, stuff like that. Okay. It's used chemically. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Rick and
1: Morty stuff
0: basically, this killer thought, you know, by pouring this all over her, that it was going to quicken the decomposition, like I said. But it actually ended up mummifying her and preserving her body almost to pristine condition, right? She was found 10 days after she was shot, and she was in such good condition that they could make multiple sketches with all of her features. They could even see a heart-shaped tattoo that was above her left breast. And, I don't know, it it was very counterproductive for this killer to do this because I don't think it's what they wanted to do, you know? But, because there was basically no evidence, like, at all at the scene of her crime, it almost looked as though she was killed somewhere else and then dumped there. And because of this, they had basically no information to go off of, and so the case eventually just went cold. Which is very sad and very upsetting.
1: I mean, yeah, just off the top of my head, I can't even, like, speculate or come up with some crazy idea as to what I would do. Right. You know what I mean?
0: Like, just so little information about her case. No facts. No evidence. Just a body and a bullet and a dime.
1: Just the thought... ...that she was in Vegas, and then... Well, I mean,
0: at this point, they don't even know that. But later on, we do find out, like, she is from Las Vegas, which that's a long ways away, right? Las Vegas to Oklahoma, like, what went on? What happened to her? Was she dumped into the river and then traveled the river all the way to Oklahoma? Or does it even reach Las Vegas from Oklahoma? I
1: honestly don't know. I I know the Canadian River is a really long river. Yeah. I don't know if it makes it or even goes through Vegas.
0: I'm really not sure, but that's kind of what it seems like. Or maybe the killer drove to Oklahoma and then just dumped her body there, you know? But the distance between the two is just
1: crazy. Brought her all the way here and then killed
0: her. I mean, yeah, that is true. But... Like Maybe I said, there's no get... evidence of a crime scene at the riverbank. And I feel like you would be able to tell footprints, drag marks.
1: Well, I definitely don't think she was killed at, like...
0: Just some other location. Yeah, because with then... the
1: quick climb, I wouldn't think they're doing that at the scene of the crime.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: If it's out and you know... and open area like that, so my voice went crazy.
0: That's okay. Going through puberty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: gonna talk like this.
0: (laughs) But, like I said, her case went cold eventually, but once Captain Bob Green was in the force, he basically reopened her case and was like, we're gonna get justice for this girl. And initially, her DNA was sent to a cold case lab in North Texas State University, But nothing yielded from the search at all. So then he reached out to the DNA Doe Project in California in 2018. And they needed more DNA than what he was giving them. So he reached back out to the OSBI, which thankfully they had kept everything from her case. So they had all of these samples to use, which is really cool because this is well after she disappeared. Or not disappeared, but was murdered. And they still have all of this viable DNA. So they give it to him. And this, too, led to no matches. But then the Doe Project only needed one nanogram of viable DNA. And so he gives this to them. And he's like, okay, this has to be it, you know, whatever. And they finally, after nine months, they come up with a profile. And then this was linked to a missing persons report from Las Vegas. And then they confirmed her identity even further because they found out she was in the military and they matched her dental records to this profile. And, and I guess,
1: did she look a lot like the sketches that they'd come up with?
0: Oh, for sure. Really? Which I will definitely post pictures of that. But yes, they they do look very similar. It's honestly crazy to me that nobody, I guess, realized that it was her. Because like I said, she was in basically pristine condition other than like being murdered. So uh, these sketches were very detailed and very good. Nice. So once I got the match, I found out it was Tamerly Tigard, and her case is still unsolved. But she was finally allowed to lay rest next to her parents in Oregon, and this occurred forty t- two years exactly after she had been found, which is insane on such a long time.
1: Yeah, that's that is insane.
0: And her case is still just completely cold, completely unsolved, which at least they figured out who it was. She's no longer a Jane Doe, but still. I insane. just imagine
1: friends or family members that had already passed and yeah, never got to, you know, find out what happened to their friend mm-hmm. or family member, you know?
0: And I had actually, like, watched an interview with two of her cousins who... Basically submitted their DNA to one of the many DNA things, like Ancestry.com, 23andMe, all that stuff. And they found out, like, what had happened to her, basically. And they actually remember her going missing, but they were, like, very young, 8 and 16 when it occurred. But they loved her, they said that she was a wonderful person, and they were shocked that she was just gone, basically. But it doesn't necessarily seem like anybody was too worried about it. And it's all just very sad. And her case is still just unsolved.
1: That is sad.
0: Yeah. So once again, obviously, I'm going to ask you to reach out if you know anything, absolutely anything. Because, I don't know, like I said, it's not that long ago. If you know anything, it could be the tip to solve her case. Or to get the ball rolling again. So, please, please, please reach out. Please. And then, a little update on Justice Francis. She was found safely. She was actually found safely the same day that episode 1 dropped on July 25th. Which is really good. There's not really any information about what happened to her and, like, why she went missing. But we know that she was found safe and is home safe with her family, which is all that matters. And I think that's about it.
1: That's a wrap.
0: That's a wrap. Did it? Did, it, did that, that, that that that's That's all, folks. <laughs> Definitely follow me on all of my social medias, which I am going to tell you them now. I have a Facebook, which is the Not So Grateful Dead Podcast with Grayson Decker, and then I have an Instagram, which is the Not So Grateful Dead underscore Podcast. And then I also have a TikTok that is the Not So Grateful Dead pod. So please follow me on all my socials. I can't wait to see you there. And I can't wait for next week's episode. Thanks for joining me, Husband Creighton.
1: It was a blast. We all look forward to hearing you next week.
0: Oh, you're so nice. All right. Bye-bye. Want to say bye? See ya. See ya.